0: podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts entertainment and media industries here we explore various approaches to craft and career and even consider how those two can sometimes work together I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for the Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and it's a pleasure to invite back our guest, Lisa Kresi, photographer, faculty member, alumni, and Director of Undergraduate Studies at Yale School of Art. You can see more of Lisa's work at com. Look for the link in our show notes below. Lisa, it is great to have you back on the Craft and Career Podcast. Yeah, thank you. So where we left off last time, you'd been giving us a walkthrough of of what your day looks like, what it looks like to be a practicing artist and, and sort of this mix between administrative side and and, and and practice and creative side. Wondering if you could start us off by giving us a, an anecdote or a sense of uh, a telling sense of like what it is to be a photographer, an artist, a teacher, uh, you know, those sorts of things like that can kind of give us the flavor of, of, mm. of your practice.
1: Well, Being a photographer, it's sort of like you have a key or a key card to almost any situation, you know, because you, you just kind of get permission to look and stare and go behind closed doors, go backstage, go inside someone's house. It's a pretty privileged position to have. Of course, you don't always get permission you get shooed away. You get in trouble. You know, somebody calls the cops. Yeah. It's not. It's not carte blanche. <laughs> and and they, of course, there's certainly all these concerns about representation and collaboration that have to be dealt with on many levels. But it's a pretty fun job.
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> I have to say. I mean, I think writers are similar because, especially if you're doing nonfiction, you get to kind yeah. of like you know, get inside someone else's head and hear their story. But but so for us, it's like we get inside and get to show their
0: story. I think you get outside more, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nonfiction yeah. writers, journalism and nonfiction is a little bit different, but uh, right. um, uh, fiction writers, we're, we're, we're oftentimes, we're, we're huddled in the cave. <laughs> right, 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 So you have a great background in terms of this this mix that you're coming from, it, um, with the photography. And you mentioned making your way sort of up the ladder of that. Um, and then an outreach into more administrative and teaching roles and, and, and those sorts of things. What can you tell us about when and how to make decisions for, for, for the paths to choose and the combinations of paths to choose for a young artist?
1: So, well, I've got this this good story and I'll try to keep it short. Sure, But it is it's like one thing leading to another, but I think it's worth diving into it because it's really instructive. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it leads me directly to here and you know, my role at Yale and and being asked to to share my experience and expertise in a podcast. So, <laughs> so had all these things not happened, we wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah. I yeah. don't think. So an example is I remember being in my dorm room in college. So this would have been 1995 or four. And I remember talking about, thinking about graduating. And I said, I wanted to work for Nan Golden. She was one of my favorite photographers. And I just was like, I'm going to work for her. So flash forward just a few months, uh, moved to New York, got to support yourself somehow. And I found a job at a lab that I think is no longer in existence called Lexington Lab. Mm. And it was the black and white lab that developed and printed some of fashion's biggest names like Bruce Weber and Stephen Klein. You know, also did some artists work like Susan Lipper, who's an alum, and even people like Lou Reed, who was a rock star, (laughs) who I waited on once. So I'm working at this lab, but the reason why I was attracted to this lab is there was a, a photo magazine called Blindspot, an art photo magazine that went out of business, but I think has come back to some degree and it was run out of the same office and the wife ran the art photo magazine and the husband ran, ran the lab. And so there wasn't room for me at the magazine, but there was room for me to work at the lab. So I think that that's the connection. I actually applied to work at the magazine. They gave me a job at the lab. Someone who was working at the magazine saw that I was kind of overqualified, didn't belong, was headed for bigger things. And she said, well, you know, my, I know someone who's Nan Golden's studio manager, you know, I can get you an interview. So she got me an interview and I don't think Nan was going to hire me. Actually, I don't think the studio manager was going to hire me. So meanwhile, I and this is all about one thing leading to another and connections and kind of taking advantage of things when you can. So we would get all these invitations at the lab to fancy openings. And there was one to an opening at MoMA that I never would have been able to go to or be invited to. But there I had the card in the mail and it was just going into the recycling, into the trash. So so I took it and I went to that opening having not heard back from Nan. So, you know, someone I worked with gave me, you know, the recommendation, but then it seemed like I wasn't getting the job. I go to the MoMA opening and who do I run into but Nan Golden and David Armstrong. And I say, you know, hi, I don't know if you remember me. I met you a couple of weeks ago. And she said, when do you start? So I called the studio manager and I said, "Nan wants to know when I start." So I started and I wasn't paid. I was an intern for a couple months, um, and this was in 1997, 1998. Nan had her retrospective at the Whitney, but she was also going up to New Haven to be on the critique panel in this MFA program in photography. What what is such a thing? What are you doing? What is this? Mm. So she was coming up to Yale and she was on the critique panel and she told me about it. Hired a student that had just graduated, Dana Hoey. Dana told me all about it. She told me what it was like. She told me about meeting Robert Frank and Owen Stinlink and these amazing experiences. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. So Nan wrote me a recommendation. I got in by the skin of my teeth, graduated in 2000. Yada, yada, yada. So anyway, you know, me reaching out to this magazine, them saying, we don't have a job, but you can work at the lab. Mm -hmm. Someone worked at the magazine saying, oh, you know, she should work for Nan, which is what she wanted to do. You know, all just one thing led to another.
0: You're picking up the invite that was going to get tossed. It goes back to, we talked a little bit about this in in, in our first half where you mentioned something about sort of like, well, in the twenties, like you have, you had to work it. You had to, you know, it's a little different now, but that's a perfect example. You worked it like that wasn't necessarily that attractive. Perhaps you, who has the time you got to dress up for it, like all those sorts of things, but you're willing to do it. And that's, In in a a sense, that's the linchpin that holds this together. As it it sounds like you know, she might not have hired, but you put yourself out there in front of the people you needed to put yourself in front of, and and lo and behold, here's what happens. That's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really it's it, it. You could trace it back to that one small thing. I mean, there's all these other things, but like being open, making your own luck, saying yes, you know, all those things you hear. Really, really does happen.
0: So in the first half, we, we sort of focused a lot more on practicalities and those sorts of things. We didn't get a, a much of a chance to really talk about your practice, about your photography. I'd love to just uncork a little bit of that in the, in the sense of tell me more about, you know, we talked about the theme of family. And, and you know, from from Joe's Junkyard, but even the more, you know, walking with O more recently and, and, and those, it's it feels like there's a lot of family. And, and you mentioned there's been an evolution of that, some distancing versus coming closer to it. Could you tell us a little bit more about that import of family and why and how it keeps creeping into your work?
1: You know, it's funny. It's like I couldn't get away from my family fast enough, <laughs> but then I always recognized that there was something... Interesting, special, meaningful, metaphorical, you know, coming from a junkyard family and all the things that kind of could go into a junkyard as metaphor, thinking about salvage. Mm-hmm thinking about transformation, you know, transformation of like a material being recycled into something, melted down and then turned back into a better newer version of that thing. I mean, that's kind of art, right? <laughs> taking something, <laughs> transforming it and making it into something else. Whether sure, it's yeah. whether it's salvaging, you know, and there's taking something and lifting it up or making it better or merely just, you know, acknowledging what something looks like or, 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 you know, that something is important and should be looked at or should be taken seriously. But I think I always recognized that there was something good that could come out of all this trauma and tragedy, you know, and that like these stories need to be told. And actually, Laura Wexler several years ago had me bring my grandfather's scrapbooks to her family archive class hmm. in photo history and he was a boxer and a junk man and kept these amazing scrapbooks that are really like outsider art where he combines family photos with kind of horrible headlines torn <laughs> out of you wow. know true crime magazines and newspaper you know, self-portraits mixed in. And then he would write on them. They're it's kind of poetry, too. But she said something that stuck with me. She said, this should be in the Beinecke. You know, not that I've approached them yet, but she said, you know, the Boxer junk man's archive is as important as, you know, George Platt lines or Stieglitz and O'Keefe. Maybe not as important, but, but important in a different way. You know, yeah. there are these yeah. voices in America that nobody hears, you know, and their stories aren't told. So, you know, it was really important to me to acknowledge these stories because I felt alone. I felt like I was the odd person out in my A-level classes and, you know, the gifted and talented programs that they had in our Mm -hmm. public school. I felt like the other kids that had something to say and worked hard and had that we used to call it academically talented program <laughs> you know that that they weren't from the same kind of working class hard scrabble background that had a lot of violence and loss and traumatic things happen in it so i really felt like it was important that i did something good with mm-hmm. it and and made other people feel not so alone you yeah. know, and so I think that I always had a fear that, you know, if I start my own family, I'm going to repeat the mistakes of the past. And I think that that's a fear a lot of us have, because yep. there's a certain baggage that you carry and a weight you carry and you carry it like in your genes too. <laughs> like, it's not just, you know, up here, right. it's, it's in your body. You know, I think that's where the postpartum work of the the walking with Audily, uh, which I call walking with O on my website. And then also, uh, you know, I've mentioned that I have some book projects in the works and all three of them are about family. You know, there's the one that is about losing my dad and grandmother in quick succession and thinking about, you know, becoming a parent and having life be a full circle Living, breathing entity, you know, and that there's a future, and that my daughter lives on. You know, my daughter's genes carry their genes, and they live on quite literally right. through her, and and that addresses that fear that I had about repeating the mistakes of the past. Another book project with Minor Matters, which is the one with the deadline coming up in a couple of weeks, takes place at my family grave. We, where I had installed a security camera, wow. like a hunting camera. So you see a year and a half go by, kind of a morning period go by where the seasons change. And the only visitors pretty much are the wildlife and the landscapers. Wow. And then the other book that I'm working on with an alum of the program who is involved with a book publishing company called Roman Numerals, it's actually, couldn't be more of a family affair it is a book. We're still working on whether it's going to be one book or three volumes, where there are photographs by myself, my husband, uh, who also teaches in the photography program, Benjamin Donaldson, and then our daughter. So mm. it's our pa- kind of family <laughs> pandemic lives wow. in these three bodies of work that were made at simultaneously when we were all stuck in the house together. And it's really interesting to see how these three people that are connected living the same life in a way, but from three different perspectives and how our lives are intertwined. And we have some of the same ways of seeing the same things and then some different ways of seeing the same things. Yeah. So yeah, family, families, I can't escape it. You know, you can't <laughs> escape your family.
0: But what rich material and, 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 you know, lovely to see all the different layers of approach there again, you know, kind of, Documentary, but it found space, but also mm-hmm. lived space, you know, just phenomenal. Just how many different ways you're finding to approach, you know, what might be a source, of the same theme, but look at all the content is so, so, so varied and it sounds so beautiful.
1: Thank you. And I, I think that I've been a pretty straight ahead going out in the world kind of photographer. And so my exposure to other modes of picture making through being at Yale and through seeing all of these lectures and constantly nourishing myself with other people's work sort of allowed me to kind of like, oh, I can let, you know, the motion sensor um, hunting camera into my work. I can, I can work, you know, cyanotypes in, I can work studio pictures made of my grandmother's and my dad's uh, belongings, you know, the kinds of pictures I would never make before. Um, I've only been able to kind of let into my practice just through being inspired by other people's work.
0: So we're back to community. Yeah. (laughs) Another theme that that kind of feels like it bleeds from your work in in, in really effective ways. You mentioned transforming or or recontextualizing things. You know, you've done defunct amusement parks and and space behind haunted houses and and strip clubs and 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 then the re- rebirth into burlesque tell me more about that theme because it's 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 such an interesting one to lay against the family theme but at the same time there there seems to be this sense of wanting to expose or explore the thing on the edge of the assumption about the thing found is that a good interpretation and and, and what is what's in your work that sort of draws you that way
1: i think i was first drawn to those kinds of spaces for two reasons. One is quite literally, they are spaces of escapism, right? Where, where one would go to escape reality. Mm. So I was really interested in what, what's the reality? What's this, what are the surfaces look like when you shine a light on them, when you see them during the day, when they're not meant to be seen, you yeah. know, what is laid bare about the futility of escaping reality <laughs> by looking at the 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 spaces that are built to house those fantasies. Yeah. You know, and even the 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 burlesque dancers to a degree, you know, they are reenacting they're kind of doing time travel, you know, in a way they're like reenacting a world of striptease and burlesque that is long gone and in a way it's sort of a fantasy that we can ever go back to the 50s, you know, and why would we want to? But they they're sort of you know, I'm also sort of using a flash or like going behind the stage or backstage to kind of just give a little glimpse into, you know, wh- what does it really look like when it's not fabricated for consumption? Mm-hmm. You know, and I found myself on that project specifically elbow to elbow with other photographers who weren't doing that at all. They wanted the glamour shot.
0: Sure. Um, yeah.
1: They wanted the light to be perfect, whereas I want to show the flaws. I want to show where things break down. And it's not that I'm being wholly critical. I'm being I don't know. I think you can be critical with love, mm-hmm. you know, and embrace something while also looking at it squarely in the face. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it is related to the escapism, is I think I had a lot of people in my life who had addictions of one sort or another. So, you know, a lot of seeking those places you mentioned out was born out of first going to like bars and nightclubs and places Mm -hmm. where people get inebriated and kind of looking at the spaces built for that and looking at how ugly they can be and looking at how you know uh, the ugliness of addiction really yeah. so i was trying to understand i think also why the people who i loved needed to escape so much like what was so what's so terrible about this that you need to not be feeling it yeah. so i think that's where a lot of that comes from in the first place even if that's not where you end up that's mm-hmm. that was the impetus for seeking out kinds yeah. of places
0: well, and again, much like we talked about with the family side of things, it seems like a theme, but it's one that you, you trace it so differently in so many different spaces. And and perhaps even in exploring the different types of artifice that are involved along the way, it complicates the question, right? right? Like, because sometimes it's artifice and sometimes there's a truth in the artifice and sometimes there's an absence in the artifice. Yeah. So again, you know, beautiful work. I wanted, I know we're almost out of time. So, you know, I wanted to uh, come back around. you mentioned a few of the different projects that you have coming up, but anything else on the horizon, anything else that you want us to know about anything else that we can, you know, shovel over to our audience and then have them take a look.
1: I think having three books in the works is 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 pretty huge, especially since yeah. I haven't published a book since 2014, right. which is the year my daughter was born. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I've really been consumed with that. And so one of them, I have some ideas about who to go to soon with the book dummy. And then the other two, I said, one is going to be with Minor Matters books, fingers crossed, and then Roman numerals. And then after that, I'm hoping to just find a way to see if any of this work is exhibitable, you know? And so in the museum world with curators, that's one angle to try to shop this work around with them, try to get get it in front of them. And then the other venue would be a gallery, but commercial galleries are looking to sell work. So the Joe's Junkyard book, I have that work I haven't really shown in a commercial gallery. I've only shown it in museums and institutions um, and like nonprofit galleries, because I don't think that works as saleable. So stay tuned. Okay. And
0: <laughs> now is, is your website the best place for us to check in? To see I think updates? so. Yeah. I mean, okay. I
1: have, so, so you can see the, some of the work in progress uh, under, I think the header is like home.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: I think that's what I have it under. So you can get a little taste of what I've been thinking about and working on there.
0: Perfect. So we'll drop that into the show notes. So anyone interested can check that out. Also, the archive that you have of your previous work and and then updates, right? Like when things hit, they'll land there?
1: Yes. Yeah. Under news and events. But also, um, I don't know exactly when it's coming out, but at some point this year, I have a piece in Maquette, which is the Yale... CCAM, Collaborative Center
0: for... Uh, Center for Collaborative Arts and Media. Yep, yep.
1: <laughs> Arts and Media. I had it mixed up. Yeah, so their periodical maquette, the theme is serendipity. Ah, so okay. um, when I heard that at a advisory committee meeting, I pitched a story where I had been driving around Pennsylvania in the Poconos, and, and I touch on family a little there, but it's essentially a road trip, a photographic road trip where a bunch of connections are made. And I talk about the power of chance and things crossing and intersecting.
0: That sounds fantastic. So this has been such a pleasure, Lisa. Um, Thank you for getting us a little bit behind the scenes, getting us into your work, and then also helping to frame this thing for us in terms of this mix of the, the craft and the career side of things. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this.
0: Lisa, it's always a pleasure. For our listeners, we'll be taking a short break over the winter holidays. But keep an ear out for new episodes coming in January. Until then, for all you creatives, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty.